Everyone has untapped potential. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for, and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for dreams, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, realistic, or to remember the limitations of being a human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself. If you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithful and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even if it's not pretty every day, and if you can source your life from God's presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of a lake and shout to the silver moon, yes. It doesn't interest me where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary, bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are, how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Oriah Mountain Dreamer, Native American Elder. Welcome to The Lost Traveler. I'm your host, Henry Cameron Allen, and I am here today with leadership performance coach, trainer, and speaker extraordinaire, Angela Brown. Welcome, Angela. It's so great to have you here on The Lost Traveler. Welcome. But my question is, when can your mom and I come visit you? So are they letting us in to that beautiful spot? Or Americans are not allowed into Europe at the moment. Oh, no. Because, you know. I know, but they haven't lifted that yet. They're still scared of us, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, can, I get it. I get For it. For good reason. <laughs> I get it. I For get good it. Reason. I get it. What I is, get it. What is, what is going on where you are? Are you in Scottsdale right now? I'm in Scottsdale. You know, we were a hot spot for the longest for this. 
And the governor just started cracking down on all of these youngsters at these nightclubs and said, no, we're closing the clubs back down. So they did. And within a week and a half, the numbers shot down dramatically. So we are one of the top three best places in the country right now and have been holding that position for the last almost month. Good. Is that, you mean Scottsdale or Arizona in general? Arizona in general, particularly Scottsdale too. I mean, just all over. Yeah, we've only had like 400 confirmed cases in the whole state. Wow. Last week, which is amazing. So yeah, I think that we just continue to be, you know, vigilant and, you know, being smart and keeping the youngsters at bay, I think we'll be good. You know, so much of this is common sense and, you know, this is a a very fragile virus that could be killed with soap and water. You know, I don't understand why it is such a, a hard thing for people to grasp and, you know. I know, I know, I know. Globally. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been, you know, my husband is, works for a huge healthcare company and I I listen to some of the, the uh, medical directors, they talk about this virus and, you know, I mean, the numbers are still showing that I just think that people just aren't smart with keeping their cell, their hands, washing your hands, like you said, soap and water, wash your hands, wear your mask, be safe, keep the elderly away, keep them at bay, and um, just do smart things that you would do with any one of your family who had a flu. You would keep them, you would not want to expose them to people with the flu. You would want to protect them. You don't, you don't want to go around them without protecting, you know, having masks and things. And so I just think that just people were just too cavalier about this whole thing and just didn't take it seriously. And then now this looks up and there it is. Do you think, do you think that it is because of leadership not appearing to take it as seriously, especially at the beginning or do you, what do you attribute that to? I mean, you, you work with a lot of people, different ages, you work in the corporate sector, um, you know, all of that. And, and you see, like I do in my work, you see a, a breadth of the human spectrum, right? What do you, what do you think this is about right now? It, it, well, not just the virus, but everything. Well, yeah, that's, that's a question that, um, has lots of implications because as you know, especially here in the States, that is there is a lot of political unrest around this topic. And, you know, at the risk of stepping out and alienating half of my client base, I have learned to temper my response because that is so emotionally charged. And I could certainly give my logic around what I think is going on from a standpoint of the virus and also how I think leadership has handled it. I don't think there's an easy solution. I don't think as a leader, you can make a decision that impacts everyone in the country and it's going to be a successful decision because I'm looking at it from, I mean, it doesn't matter. Even 
politics aside, I'm just saying that it would be very challenging for me had I been in that situation to make a decision that encompasses everyone in the country and to mandate that and not infringe on people's rights. And I think that's why I think the president delegated or relegated the, um, the um, responsibility to the, to the states to the, because constitutionally um, I don't think the president has the right or the authority to mandate. However, some people would say that, well, when you're talking about so many lives that are at risk, I think it would, it would, you know, you know, take a chance. I mean, who cares about that when you're talking about people's lives doing, you know, do something. Leadership is not that cut and dry. When you're talking about a pandemic and and a state of emergency, um, you know, and you look comparatively at the numbers of cases, the numbers of deaths and the way it's been spreading around America, it's it's tops in the world, second only to you know, nobody. <laughs> Brazil is coming up behind. And, you know, it seems that people have it in check for the most part. It goes up and down a bit, but, um, you know, I think those of us who are in this business of coaching and mentoring and all of that, we, we have to think about, and that's what this podcast is all about. What are the tools that we need right now? What do we need to pioneer this time? Not only the time that we're in, in this moment, but this uncertain future globally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, What would you say are the top skills that we need to be cultivating and focusing on right now? Are you talking in the leadership or are you talking specifically what are you speaking about? Well, you know, I mean, I've done, um, I've done episodes on self-leadership. I've done, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of different topics. And, you know, with each guest, it's sort of, you know, it brings another piece of the puzzle together. You know, when you are talking yeah. about your specialty and your work as, uh, a trainer and a speaker and a coach um, in in the world that you occupy. What are you seeing? What are you seeing that other people may not be getting yet? What what can can we offer up right now? So let's like take it from from a leadership perspective, and yeah. you know I do a lot of work in the area of personal leadership, and that's where you can't lead others until you learn to lead your own life and getting to know yourself intimately and understanding the reason why you exist. Why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your purpose? What's your passion? What's your mission? And I can ask leaders that question and they'll give me a lot of rote answers, things that they've heard or a combination of different people who they admire But when I ask them to really peel back the layers and to get down to the core of their true belief and what they stand for and what they're willing to die for, um, it's challenging for them. And so what I do in my work is I help people get down deep to the core of, of, of who they are and what they want their legacy to be in the long run. And so once you determine, it was sometimes it takes six months to a year to even unearth all of that because we've been so 
mired in life and we don't even hear our own voice anymore. We don't even hear our own passion anymore. And I think it's important if we're going to have the energy and to lead and have the vision to lead, we have to know who we are at the core. And leaders, when we're making decisions that we don't know what we stand for and have authenticity around that, then we're going to waver and vacillate back and forth on principle. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about making value judgments because we all have to own who we are. We have to all own our belief and we have to, and we have to um, be strongly convicted in our beliefs and what we believe in. And I think that's what people are looking for from us as leaders are people who are solid and are convicted by you know, what they believe in. And I'm not talking, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, it has to be one belief or one value or the other. I'm saying that the leader has to own who they are and, 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 and really use that as the foundational launching pad for whatever it is they want to do, especially, particularly as it um, pertains to leading other people. And we're going to take a brief pause right now to hear a word from our sponsor. Listen up. How can a sock, a patch, or an insole help so many people live their best lives pain-free, balanced, and strong? Scientifically speaking, there is a proprietary pattern embedded in Vox, socks, and insoles that touches specific neuropoints and other receptors in the metatarsal or ball of the foot, creating homeostasis or balance in the brainstem. This prime real estate in your brain is responsible for automatic functions like balance, stability, strength, power, range of motion, flexibility, mobility, and so much more. The Vox patch works in the same way, but it uses receptors on other parts of your body to elicit the same response. The moment your receptors touch this Vox technology, it opens up communication pathways throughout your unique system, allowing you to become instantly stronger, more balanced, have less pain, and increased range of motion. In short, Vox technology helps optimize the brainstem, allowing your body to self-regulate, and self-heal. Vox products are non-electrical, non-invasive, have no negative side effects, no metals, magnets, or plastics, and are drug-free. Results are instant, scientifically proven, and time-tested. For a limited time, buy any two items and get one pair of socks or thin insoles free, a savings of up to $50. Contact Diane Dinkmeyer at voxlife.com for more info. That's Diane Dinkmeyer at vowxlife.com. You'll be glad you did. I, I just posted something recently on Facebook about I'm not really interested in finding out what you're against. Let me know what you're for. And I think that's yes. a huge question right now. I, I love that you ask that question, what would you die for? Because that is what we're talking about in, in our time. We're talking about, uh, you know, policing. We're talking about racism. We're talking about uh, this virus, the risks that people are willing to take. 
what are you willing to do? Yes. And this comes down to that line, <laughs> right? So I think that's absolutely, real. absolutely. I love what you said when you said, you know, what are you, what do you stand for? Yeah. What are you willing to live and die for? What are you for? Not what you're against. And I think that we become so disoriented and just so distracted by being angry and being emotional around people who are maybe against what we believe that we have failed to become introspective and let's talk about what we can do to make it better based on who we are and what we stand for in our belief. I think that we've kind of, we've have um, misaligned our, our focus. I think our focus should be on, on as leaders on us, what can we do? And if you don't know who you are and what you stand for, it's going to be very difficult to lead and to be, first of all, if to be um, a leader worth your salt, you have to be introspective and have the courage of introspection. No one likes to look at themselves. They want to look at others and blame where I think we have an amazing opportunity now to go inward and to figure out how we can be better so that we can lead. My grandmother had this great saying. She used to say, honey, when you point a finger at somebody else, you got three pointed back at yourself. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And do think that this virus, this little fragile virus that has taken the world to its knees has given us such a gift this opportunity to be introspected, to isolate from one another, to give mother nature a chance to have a spa weekend and just take a break and recoup. And, you know, my goodness, we look at everything from the, the fires in Australia last year to what's going on in the West this year, which I hope isn't close to you where you are, because I know Arizona's it. Um, you know, there, there are all of these, it seems like there's this cleansing happening right now in the earth and in humanity and are we are we taking enough stock in that are we able to as humanity at large able to see that i know some of us are but how do we get to that point how do we get from point a to point b if we have listeners who are struggling with finding what they are for because they're deaf from from all the you know vitriol that's out there and and hearing on social media what everyone's against. Um, how do we how do we get there? How do we get them there who aren't? Well, I've always had the saying that you know you can't. I don't want to drag someone along in the process. I think it's an individual choice. You have to know that you're ready and want to be ready for transformation and to step off of the treadmill and to press pause and to take some time and realize the importance of that. And so even though I'm a coach and I have lots of people that I work with, I never want to drag people along. If I have to pull them along or drag them along, then it's not the right time. And so we all have to come to that time in our life where we feel like it's necessary. But the people who are ready, I always 
start with the question. I ask a lot of questions and these are questions that I asked myself at a point in time in my life. And I was going through um, a transition thinking, you know, what's next for me? What's my purpose? What's, you know, what's on the agenda? And, and I had to ask the question, so what do I truly value? If I had to list the top five areas of my life um, that I truly valued, and I'm talking about things that um, would be more tangible, I would say family, my faith, my, my career, things of that nature, if I had to, to list those things. And so there's no right or wrong, good or bad. It's just whatever. It could be my, my dog. It could be deep sea fishing. It could be whatever it is for me, because I think that that's part of the authenticity. You're not trying to live someone else's expectation. You're just trying to discover what's authentically you. And so you have to um, gain clarity on what you value. And that's, it's more difficult than it sounds because I also ask the question, now I want you to, once you list those things, now I want you to prioritize them. Um, and you know, what's most important to you, one through five. But then it goes even deeper. Yeah. And then I ask the question, so now that you have listed your top five things that you bear, value or areas in your life that you value and you prioritize those things, now I want you to tell me how much time you actually engage in those areas right now. So if you had a pie 100%, you broke it. It doesn't have to be like, you know, like 2.5%, but just... You know, just the whole number, just, you know, you know, what is that percentage? And so people are usually surprised to see that the areas of their life that they say are the most important, they spend the least amount of time engaged in. Mm. I think that was interesting because we say that we value a certain thing in our mind, yet our actions tell us a totally different story. So there seems to be this this misalignment or we don't have integrity around those areas that we say we value. So it's a huge wake up call for people because if you can't walk the talk, not only are your, is your mind thinking, gee, there's some, there's some you know, incongruence here, but there's also people are watching you and they're saying you espouse to one thing, yet your actions are telling a different story. And so it's difficult to have people follow you if they can't trust what you say is true. Well, and, and I think a lot of that comes from our foundation and, and the skills that we glean throughout our lives. Um, uh, so many, I would even venture to say a large percentage of us globally are walking around with very deficient toolkits in meeting our own lives and in meeting the world as individuals with integrity. And, you know, when I talk to clients about a very similar question that I ask, um, and I, and I too experience people struggling, finding that list, especially a short list, let alone a long one of the things that matter to them. Um, what do you want is the question that I pose. And that's the hardest list for many people to come up with. I say, all right, then here's what we're going to do. Make the list of the things you don't want. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a good list. 
right? Mm -hmm. Go down the list, everything you can think of. And usually it's about a dozen to begin with. And once they've established that on the opposite side of the paper, I say now write the opposite of each one of those things. And there's a foundational list that you can start from. It's a very easy, very practical tool. And then tear the paper in half and burn the other <laughs> the negative stuff. All get it off the planet. And then focus on these things that you, that you now know that you want, right? If it's the opposite of what you don't want. And start there. That list is changeable. It's not written in blood or stone. And that simple act of recognizing and identifying what it is that you value, you're absolutely right. That's the foundation of it all. And we don't get that. Why do you think that is in, at home or at school? Um, in your you know, I, yeah, yeah, definitely we don't do a lot of this in in school, there's a narrative that we're supposed to, to follow. There's a track we're supposed to follow. The box and to fit into. <laughs> fit into, exactly. And so it doesn't leave much room for authenticity and creativity. And I think that when I speak with my clients, a lot of them are, these are folks who are in their 50s and 60s. They've had a fair amount of success. And now they're looking at their lives retrospectively and they're saying, gee, what's next for me? This is where, I, this is how I've lived my life thus far. And I really don't feel like I've been in my sweet spot. What is it that I really want to do? What is it? And, and, and to your point, yes, you can list those things, the things that you don't want to do. But I go through this process where it's almost like uh, pulling back the curtain and and seeing what's there after you have asked yourself the questions about your values, of course, and then you go even deeper in that by asking, so you say that you value these areas. So why do you value um, your, your dog so much? I mean, why do you value? And so it's, it's one thing to say it, but to actually go deep and to write a narrative around the significance of that value in your life is what I call adding roots to your conviction. Yes. Because the more you can define it, the deeper your conviction and the more solidly grounded you'll be as a leader of leading your own life. And we'll be right back right after this. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we... we absorb right we absorb everything around us from childhood from learning how to speak learning how to walk learning how to interact all those essential skills like communication and self-care and and grief um we learn by observing the world around us where did you grow up where where did you uh glean your roots my roots are in st louis missouri mm -hmm. right in the middle of the midwest yes. middle of america wow do, yes. do you know much about your your family history? There's there's been a really interesting. I talk about this a lot. Uh, a fairly new science called epigenetics, where they're understanding that our genetic makeup carries within it the memories of our ancestors. That's the fascinating thing. Yes, I've been kind of looking into that myself on a personal level. But yes, yes, it's very interesting. Well, I think that's important in, in discovering your roots and, and, and where things stem from within you. T 
to even go back to your own personal biography, go before, go way back. How far back can you go? I mean, what a great challenge. And the tools that we have available to us in this day and age, use them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, I know I can go back. I mean, I can go back. I mean, my um, gosh, we have roots from, I mean, and I'm African-American, but I can roots, I, mean, I have roots back as far as Africa and Germany and um, all over. We have just like a melting pot in our family, especially on my father's side. Yeah. And I know that my mother's side can trace her roots back, you know, to slavery. We couldn't get find out where exactly um, in Africa we came from. But, um, but yeah, it seems to be a melting pot overall. But even more recently, I can tell you that I, I was raised by two um, divorcees, two women who very scorned women in very, very abusive relationships who needed to get out of those relationships. And I grew up in their transition, especially my mother's um, transition from being a young, afraid woman with two children and an abusive husband and how she had to grow up um, quickly on her own to be independent and me watching that. And I'm sure there was an awful lot of stress that was imposed on her. You know, she's still living and doing great, but I can, but I just have seen her just her transformation since I was a little girl until now and the just enormous amount of stress and just, I can't even imagine having young children and an abusive relationship and, and um, having a high school education. So how then do you seek out those, I guess to me, not just support, but just the mindset. How do you garner the mindset to keep going and to have a vision? How do you create a vision when you're bombarded with so much negativity and strife and, and especially at a young age. And for her to do that was just phenomenal. And so I think I have inherited my propensity to, to um, I have a sensitivity to stress, to stressors. I know that, but I also have a um, inherited the ingenuity <laughs> to try to mitigate it in, in, in any way I can too, because I am aware of it. So it is important to, um, yeah, so I think that epigenetics is very important and good and bad. You know, you kind of pick it all with (laughs) That's a really important point, too, because we do, you know, have to look at at both sides of the coin, you know. And, you know, your mother inherited from her mother and her mother inherited from her mother. And you look back at black slavery in America over 400, whenever people were brought here. Yes. And, you know, generation to generation, what has had to be carried and gleaned uh, and brought forward, it's, it, it's amazing to me and a beautiful thing to me um, to see people rising above, to see black folks sitting up, standing up and saying, this is, this is who I am. This is in my blood. This is in my, my DNA. You know, and yeah. um, I feel and we're resilient. I mean, to me, you. I think it's I think mindset is so important. I mean, we can. I am not one to adopt the victim mentality because I wasn't right. taught that. I did. It wasn't modeled for me. Yes, was life hard? Did I see extreme abuse that a five-year-old little girl should not have seen? Absolutely, but I didn't see anyone around me 
in my immediate family, like my mom and my grandmother, who are the two most important influences in my life, they never were woe is me. They could have, they could have blamed their circumstance and situation. There was, a, there was plenty to blame, but they, they chose not to do that. If people say you're always so positive, no matter what you're going through, it's like, because I choose yeah. to take on that mindset. Transcend it. We transcend Absolutely. it. And I learned from my mother, who you know very well. Who I know and love and I adore, <laughs> yes. You know, and I, I have to say that, you know, growing up the way I did, uh, growing up overseas, I didn't grow up in America, even though I was born there. Um, I am eternally grateful that my mother raised me and my siblings in our foundation years. Um, there were key years of development where I wish it had been otherwise, where she had been there. Uh, Cause I was six, I think when my parents divorced and we were yeah. ping pong balled all over the world. And it was very dramatic and very scary and lonely. And, you know, all of these issues that come up um, certainly within me. And I know within her, she never copped to the attitude of victimhood. No. He transcended yeah. it. And when we came back together uh, in, in the spirit of love and family, when I was finishing high school, um, our relationship just has blossomed over the years. And I've watched her go from, you know, really having to raise herself in a lot of ways. Yes. Too. yes. Uh, you know, I think that's a gift that we have, too, as, as human beings, that our individual selves. Each one of us contains an inner child. And at some point, we have to start parenting ourselves and be the Absolutely. we get to have sometimes, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes, Henry, I get so frustrated by people's good intentions. People do have good intentions when they want to particularly take African-American children. Yeah. And they want to treat them as victims. And, and I know people have good intentions, but they want to say, oh, this poor kids, they don't have this home life. And they are, you know, and, and all this is going on, and which is so true. And, and, and I understand that. But I think that we do kids, not just African-American kids, but all kids a disservice if we start to treat them as, as victims and how they need to somehow be be rescued and be saved. Now, I'm not saying that there should not be support mechanisms in place yeah. um, to help them succeed, to help kids succeed. But when you constantly hear this narrative, you're a victim. They don't want you to have. Right. They are against you. That, I mean, subconsciously, that has an effect on you where you think that you don't have the wherewithal, because all the cards are stacked against you. So therefore, it would be very difficult for you to succeed. And, and, and I have always been of the mindset to where you meet people where they are, you understand their pain, you empathize with the pain, but you never lower the bar of expectation. And you always expect that people can learn and grow and understand how to go out to learn how to feed themselves because nowhere in America, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's always opportunity um, to do something. And I 
have seen it. My husband grew up in a, in a housing project in, in um, St. Louis where he saw gun wars and drug wars. And, and he remembers the people, he called them the do-gooders who would come into the neighborhoods and they would drop off, come in and clean up. You know, the churches, they come in and do a cleanup day or they drop off food and clothes, but then they'd never see them again. Right. You know, it's the people who um, really weren't vested in the community, but it was just a way for them to come and do a feel good, do a happy for the day. And he, but, but there were people who were there. There were the priests back in the day when the, when the Catholic church was in these neighborhoods. And there were some people who were really vested, who lived in the areas, who, who came in there. They spent time with him and his brothers. They took him fishing. They did things. And it was just, he saw a different way of life. And same with me growing up. I saw a different, a different way because there were people who took the time to show me how to do things. They showed me, told me what it took to be successful. They didn't make excuses for me, but, 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 but really gave me the tools. And so I never thought that I couldn't compete because of my skin color. I never thought that I was at a deficit. I never thought that, because you can ask your mom, it doesn't matter. I'll walk into a room. I don't care. I'm the only black person, I will act like I own it. <laughs> it's just how I've been raised. It's just well, what I what's been my doubt that there are that there are cards stacked against people of color and indigenous people in this country. There are yes. there's no doubt. You cannot look at you cannot look at your city, you cannot look at your neighborhood, you cannot look at the news without seeing it. And now it's on video. Now it's it's really laid out and I, I have to think, I'm thinking about, you know, because as a person who is born with the privilege of fair skin, which I believe is the currency that buys our privilege, is our lack of melanin, um, that we, that what I can try and equate it to right now in time is when those planes hit the towers on 9-11, Right. Mm -hmm. nobody, mm -hmm. nobody told children that that wasn't happening over and over and over again. Nobody was yeah. telling children that that wasn't happening every day. Nobody was yes. telling young children who didn't know better or where it was that that sure. wasn't happening all over the world. And I wonder, I have to wonder the ripple effect of that in young people today who are now adults trying to make their way through this world. And I wonder the same thing about young kids of color and indigenous kids who are watching this play out in, in social media today and on the news without people telling them the history, without people telling them why... Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project Wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. 
we hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. No, you're right to your point that um, the messages that our children hear right now based on our current construct, even going back to 9-11, what are those? Because my kids were in middle school when that happened and they have seen that. And it, and it does change the perspective on how they see the world. And so I think that um, we do have to be careful because the mind, the mind dictates so much um, physiologically, um, emotionally, um, you know, our ambition, our, um, our, the way we see ourselves, our self-esteem, everything. And so I just think it's important that we protect, help these kids navigate to protect their psyche around these things. I remember with, when my kids were young, I would go in their rooms every night and deconstruct all the garbage that they had picked up throughout the day. Messages that they hear, the subconscious mind picks that up. And once you hear it within earshot, whether it's directed at you personally or someone else, you hear something, the moment you hear it, it's like, it's, it's, it goes somewhere and it goes into your subconscious. It's there floating somewhere. Um, the moment you speak it. So someone tells this young kid, you know what? You're dumb. You're not going to amount to anything. Mm-hmm. The moment they hear it, it's now in your subconscious. The moment they speak it, it's now part of their, their consciousness. And it's also become part of their belief because when they speak it, it's there and that, and that was part of their belief system. And then, and then our, our actions are a manifestation of our beliefs. So, I mean, we have to be so careful about those messages. And so we have to be intentional as adults and teachers to make sure that we're deciphering all this negativity so that it's not used against our kids. And that is not easy to do when we ourselves are meeting this for the first time in history. We don't have the tools to really understand how to deconstruct it for ourselves. How do we guide our children? And all of us, and I say our children, and that includes everyone who is of the age to be a parent, right? If you are in the parenting generation- You have to look at all children as your children, because if you are interacting with them, even if it's walking through the grocery store, they're watching you for how to be in the world. They're looking at the choices of what you're picking off the shelf to feed the temple of your body, right? We are all of us in the past generation responsible for learning for ourselves first. It's like putting the oxygen mask on your own face before you put it on the child. You have to be able to figure it out for yourself. That's why I'm doing this podcast. What are some practical tools that, that you have found with your clients that, that are helpful in, in the individual needing this, building up our toolkits, building up our integrity to be able to own our toolkits and sharing them with younger people today? Big question. Again, yes, again, that's why I love that you're a coach and I love what I do as a as a leadership coach. Again, back to this whole personal leadership. You can't lead others until you first learn to lead your own life because that becomes that's the integrity, that's the authenticity, all those things. That's the conviction. It's the courage of conviction. All those things emanate from from the leader themselves, walking their walk, 
walking their talk every single day. So my biggest tool is to first have my personal leadership playbook, which I should go pull that out. It's what I, it's, 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 it's a 30 page dossier that I have for myself that I take all of my clients through. And it reminds me in details, my trajectory. I reverse engineer my legacy. It's like at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, what do I want people to remember me for? And so that's what we try to get to is that vision, but then we bring it back into daily accountability steps. So if I say that I value my charity work, which is with, um, let's just say, with domestic violence, and what am I doing? What am I doing on a monthly basis or biweekly basis? Whatever I deem is necessary for me, is good for me, am I being true to that? Am I consistently doing that if that's one of my core values? So that at the end of the day, there's no regrets. Did I engage in those activities? So as a coach, what I do is I hold people accountable to what they say they want to accomplish. Not what I think is important or what society thinks is important, but what is quintessentially you? What is it that would make you feel like, yes, I have, this is, I have achieved success on my terms and this is what it is. And so I think that living a life of, of integrity and, and um, being engaged in those daily activities that lead you to your, to your vision is what it's about. So that's a tool for me. I don't judge my success on home run hits every day. I don't judge my success on the number of clients I get. I don't judge my I judge my success on did I did I add value to someone's life today in some little way? That's something that that's part of my um, value plan of my top five. I want to add value to others every single day. And that's just for me. And I know that. So did I engage in that today? So I can give myself a gold star by each of my five action items. And I know that that compounded effect over time is going to get me to where I want to go. Yeah. I often, uh, you know, I, I don't work in the corporate sector at all. Um, I'm working with people who really are at, at whatever phase of their life, whether they're a teen or in their thirties or in their fifties, just meeting this for the first time, developing their toolkit, finding the strength, finding the wisdom, and asking for help, empowering themselves to ask for help. Um, and so, you know, with that, these are the things that that matter to me list. Um, I actually have them folded up and put it in a like an Altoids tin and find a place in nature to bury it, bury it under a bush or a tree or something, plant it in the earth, the act of planting it in the earth like a seed is a beautiful gesture. It connects you yeah. to earth. It connects you to nature. And you have the power to plant that seed. And every time you achieve one of those things on your list, go dig it up, cross it off the list, fold it back up, put it back in the earth until the next thing you can cross off. And I, I, I love that. Thanks. I, I, I think that that works for a lot of people who, who may not have... Um, may not have the basic tools even developed enough to be able to know practically what to do. It's a gesture. And just like your dossier is a gesture, it's, a, it's, it's your garden. That's yeah. where you plant your seeds, right? And you have to prepare the soil. You can't just throw a seed on the ground and expect it's going to develop into a healthy plant. And you can't force the growth either. 
Because if you do, you're going to have a weak plant. You have to understand climate and you have to understand the nutrients that are required to grow that seed. Um, and that's, yeah. you know, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. And, and it starts in early childhood. It starts in education at home and in school. I think, again, this is a, a prime opportunity for us to develop uh, new tools, new techniques to meet children in their foundation years. Um, your kids are, are, are now... Wholeheartedly. Yeah. And my kids are grown, grown up now, 20, yeah. 30. My daughter is the oldest. She's 30. She's a high school principal in the urban core doing some great things with the charter school system in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, leader, great vision, um, great interracial school with different socioeconomic backgrounds. And these kids mm -hmm. are just like a melting pot and, and just really doing high academic standards, high rigor. And, um, no excuses. They all kids can succeed with the right tools and the right opportunity. And um, it's just a great, great vision. But then I have my, my middle son, who's 28, who's, um, he is in sales in Seattle, Washington, food brokerage company, Cisco. And he's just doing fantastic. He has always worked with youth and basketball. He played division one basketball and he just loves empowering and equipping youth. He's the most planned guy you ever want to meet as far as daily disciplines. I think that's what keeps him on track and being so successful is that he has that mindset. He breaks it up into small chunks. And then our youngest, Peyton, just graduated from Arizona State University. So he has a huge trajectory ahead of him. So, I mean, again, when my kids were small, it was, and they knew me. I mean, I did walk the talk when it came to don't let circumstances define you. Life is hard. I mean, we had the conversation early on. Um, I'm not trying to protect you from life's challenges because they're going to happen. So it's going to be hard. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be sad. You're going to be mad. But let me help you navigate. I don't want to remove the obstacles. I want to coach you around navigating those obstacles because I can't always be there to help you to remove those things. And so you're going to have to learn how to navigate. And they went through it early on. I wasn't the mom that was trying to, you know, create this ideal scenario. They, they went through hell. Some of them, especially, you know, bullying and some different things that um, my daughter went through in particular, you know, being the only black girl and mostly, you know, um, private schools. And so I think that's what's giving her a lot of her passion for, for the underserved to this day, um, and to be a voice for the underserved because of what she went through. But, you know, of course we had to intervene on some situations that were just untenable for her at, at her age, but she had to learn how to speak up for herself and to advocate for herself early on in life. Whereas as a mom, it just kills you as a parent, as a dad and mom, it just killed us to watch her go through it. But, um, Gosh, I mean, I look at her now as this amazing leader um, and what she's doing in her vision. And um, I always say that, you know what? I'm glad that we let her know that there's pain early on and we equipped her to deal with it. Otherwise, she's going to be in therapy at age 60 wondering why she doesn't have any friends. <laughs> it's just like one of those things where it's like you have to, I mean, the sooner, you know, you can expose your kids to challenges, but then to help equip them 
to navigate those challenges to the other side is one of the best gifts that we've given our kids. And I go into public schools now. My daughter invites me into her schools and I take these kids, you know, from not so good backgrounds. I mean, I came from that. I mean, I get it. And I take them through the whole personal leadership playbook. So what I, so what my corporate clients pay for, I give it to these kids for free. And I think that my corporate clients help to underwrite it because, and, and, and I want to get with these moms, these senior moms in the urban core, take them through this process because no matter what their current situation is, they can create a vision for their life that's different. And so I want to empower people to look and to think about things differently. Twenty-first century life skills warrant twenty-first century education. Every human being is born into a classroom, each of us given the same homework, the same core assignments. Personal care skills, emotional literacy, financial literacy, environmental literacy. These and other essential life skills are unique, learned and used by each of us every day of our lives. Indeed, they are the common thread in our humanity core to individuals and the communities they construct, surviving and thriving. Raising the bar on life skills education for all. This is the mission of Parenting 2.0. Visit www.parenting2pt0.org for more information. Absolutely. And I know that there are, t- there are tools that I don't have in my kit to meet certain people, to meet certain situations. And that's why I'm so grateful for this platform because I can bring in masters from every background, from every walk of life, every country, every culture. I have listeners in 16 countries now and I have brought in- That's fantastic. And, and, and cultivated this community of, of master teachers who can come in and give just little practical tools for, that are universal, right? That we can meet. We talk about the African-American experience. We talk about the Jewish American experience. It wasn't that long ago. Yes. Jews were marginalized in this country and treated as second-class citizens. Absolutely. But, you know, the Irish. The there are people who are still living who can tell us yeah. what happened during the Holocaust. There are people who can tell us what happened during Jim Crow? Who are, I mean, my grandmother remembered the Ku Klux Klan coming up to her house as a young girl. She was born in 1922. She has passed away four years ago, but my kids were able to hear these stories firsthand. So yeah. we're not that far removed. Well, and those stories are being lost, and it's really important that they, yes. that, that they are stoked and kept alive. That's one of the reasons I, I do folkloric theater with, yes. with all ages. It's to get people you know, bringing those stories, preserving and protecting the stories that are dying with the people that carry them. Some of them, all of those stories live in us. That's why we resonate with them so much. I can hear a story from somebody who is descended from African slaves who were brought here 400 years ago or however long. Um, And through my, my DNA research, I've been able to find where my African ancestry is from way back prehistory in Kenya and Tanzania. Yeah, yeah. Those tools are yes. there. And that allows me to empathize and allows me to embrace uh, in, in brother and sisterhood all people 
of this planet. It's a tiny planet and we are all related. We are all of us related and relatable. Yes, we more, are. More importantly, we're relatable, yeah. right? Yes, so, we are. Yes, we are. And, um, you know, always, I was just doing this whole study on Africa with my son. My, my youngest son is a history buff. I love it uh, that he's 23 and he's, you know, educating us on this, on stuff. And, you know, we're looking at Africa. I mean, everything started in Africa. Every, <laughs> Human, mankind started in Africa. I mean, we can't, true. I mean, that's where it started. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah. I, so. I've, I've been studying African history myself because of, this discovery in my DNA research. And I encourage everybody to do that. You know, find- That's fascinating. Find your roots. So Kenya, so so, so we could be cousins, Henry, and we don't even know it. You know, we have to figure this out. (laughs) And we can, I'm sure we can, we can find it. I love it. I love it. I love it. The tools that are there. And I know that, that, you know, there are, DNA companies that are Africa centric, especially designed to guide people who were enslaved um, to to be able to find their African roots, where specifically where they're descended from, what tribes, down to the tribe. Um, You know, race is is a a construct. Race is a it's a, a for economic gain and. Nobody really talked in those terms uh, before the Industrial Revolution, really. And you look at the countries of Africa and the, the numbers of, of cultures within that continent. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it's fascinating. And you wonder, people think that, you know, that... Africa is has this, these myths about it, you know. There's you know all these primitive tribes and different things, but gosh, I mean the climate. The reason why there wasn't much developed in certain regions, especially around the um, equator, is because of this. It's hard to grow crops. I mean, they had to be very nomadic, and and so you could root and establish, you know, all these infrastructures. I mean, only like in the in the um, northern part, you know, you, you saw like near Egypt and different areas where they were able to do certain things agriculturally and, you know, structurally and as far as building things. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's a history and a reason <laughs> why a lot of this stuff is. So it's just uh, and we've been taught we've been taught a very Eurocentric perspective of history, of world history. Yes. And if you actually exactly. go back to uh, Greek and Roman history and you dig deep, which I like to, um, you see that a lot of what we're seeing come from Europe is actually inspired by African people and, and yes. nations. Um, there's, I'm a, a Patreon member of a, um, uh, a wonderful YouTube channel that I encourage everybody, doesn't matter what background you come from, it's called Home Team History. Have you heard of this? No, I need to look at that. I'll send you the link. In fact, you know what? I'll post a link um, in the description here, both to that, and I'll I'll post a link to uh, your website, empoweringactions.com. I will put that in the description as well. Um, as we're wrapping up here, and thank you so much for your time and energy and, you know, the gift that is you. Uh, very proud to call you a friend. Pleasure. And um, 
Think of, of three things that you would want our listeners to walk away from this episode with, three practical tools for their kit. They can't use these tools the way that we use them because there are tools, but they can synthesize them with the tools they've already got and they can help create unique tools for their own journey. What are, what are three things that you can, that you can suggest practically that, that people can take away from this episode? Get a gratitude journal, number one, and just to start to, there's something about, again, I've been talking about the mind and how the mind controls so much and how we live our life and everything, physical, mental, everything. But a gratitude journal is one way to help you maintain perspective that although life can be hard and we're going through an unprecedented challenge in, in American and in this world history right now with this pandemic, we do have some control <laughs> um, and we can choose to have a heart and a mind of gratitude. And sometimes we just need some reminding that there are some good stuff happening around us. Um, and so I love my every morning. And, and that's, a, that's number one, a gratitude journal. Um, and then number two, your vision, create a vision. And, you know, I have my vision on my phone, my vision board where I've taken first, I, 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 I wrote a narrative, a day in the life of Angela leading and living her best life. And um, just one day, and what does that look like? And what, I mean, it has to be so concise that you can touch, feel, and taste it, the whole thing. And so to be able to you know, create that vision and have it somewhere <laughs> where, it's, where it's visible, I mean, readily visible, because then you'll lose sight of it. And so that's one thing that I do. And another thing I do is I have an accountability partner, someone that keeps me accountable for my legacy producing activities. And these are just five areas, daily disciplines that I judge my success on, not hitting the home runs, but just have, am I engaged in these five areas every single day that I give myself a gold star, that I engage in things that are important to me that I know compounded over time um, is going to lead me to my, to, to leading and living my best life. And so having an accountability partner, I can just text and say, Hey, I did it. I nailed it. I crushed it today. Um, is also good because left to my own devices, as much as I know, and as much as I coach and help people left to my own devices, I had the propensity to do none of them because I'm sure mm -hmm. if, if one thing I'm true to myself, <laughs> and I know what I'm capable of doing and not doing. And so it is important to have some accountability measures to a coach or a friend or someone around you to help pull those things through. Who is that for you? Is that a coach or a friend or a husband? <laughs> or a um, I have a coach. I, you know, I learned the reason why I became a coach is because I know the value of having a coach. I will always have a coach yeah. because, again, left to my own devices, I probably will do maybe ten percent <laughs> of it because I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. That's why um, I've had a fair amount of success, but it's because I've put things in place like having a coach in my life. That's right. So listeners, if you are feeling like a lost traveler, which we all are right now, uh, invest in a coach, invest in yourself. There are coaches at every level, whether it's professional, whether it's personal, whether it's parenting, whether it's grief that you're dealing with. If you're feeling like a lost traveler, there are coaches out there for you. Angela is one, I am one, and there are many, many others that we can point you towards. Yes. Um, so do reach out. And Angela, my friend, thank you. This has been a joy and a pleasure. And, and we my pleasure. sometime there's so much more we could talk about. 
Oh, I know. We're just getting started. And, you know, I had to, I stepped outside because, you know, my husband, we're all working. We actually live in Seattle, but we have a condo here in Scottsdale and it's a two bedroom. And um, so we're like really short on space. And so we're always by for the primo spot that I started out in with our call. Now I've been relegated to outside sitting on the stairs. <laughs> so. You know, well, listen, I'm in a I'm in a remote village and there have been three tractors that have gone by my front door. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Real deal. This is a, I love that this conversation can be organic. I didn't prepare any questions. We just start yeah. the conversation just as real as can be. And look where it led us. I just said, hey, if you're free, give me a call now. And yes. uh, no notes, no preconceived notions, no nothing prepared. You didn't give me any talking points. We just had a great conversation. It was my pleasure being on your call today. We'll do it again, and I look forward to the day where I can I can sit with you in person again and uh, have you know raise a glass and and really uh, enjoy your company because it's uh, you're very absolutely in my life. I know you're looking forward to it. Mom's life too, oh. and she adores you and uh, looks up to you as well. Oh, I love you both. This has been great. Thank okay. you, Henry. Okay, lots of love. Talk to you soon. Stay safe out there. been listening to The Lost Traveler with Henry Cameron Allen. For more information, please visit www.henryallen.org. Thanks so much for tuning in, and let's all keep striving for a better world. Thank you.